Today we're going to start a new subject. It's called Righteousness and New Creation Realities. There are so many different ways we can name this subject, but primarily I'm going to be talking to you about righteousness and also all the other truths that are connected to a new creation in Christ. This is the subject that really set me free. The breakthrough that came in my life to really experience a life of liberty and power is based on this subject, this knowledge. We know that knowledge is power. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So it was not really just experiencing the anointing or a powerful revival service. Even though all of that was part of the process, it was really understanding this truth and being established in it that brought the daily peace, the daily breakthrough, and that stability upon which the strong platform for a victorious Christian life was experienced. And so this is absolutely essential for you to understand. In my understanding, the majority of the churches where I have gone and preached, the pastors that I have met, believers, very few understand these truths. Very few even emphasize these truths. The tragedy in the Christian church is that much of the teaching has been focused on the doing part. We get people born again, we get them saved, we bring them to church, and we immediately focus on teaching them do. If you are a Christian, you must be doing this. So even tell people of other religions, if you want to be a Christian, cut your hair. If you want to be a Christian, change your clothes. If you want to be a Christian, get baptized. If you want to be a Christian, go to a church. So we are always focusing on the doing part, which is the external part. We never focus on the internal, what they must believe. We never show them what has happened on the inside when they got born again. And thereby, we have always a weak church, never rising up in faith to do what God has called us to do. All right? But if you study the epistles of Paul, you always see that he emphasizes in the first part of his epistles what happened to us in Christ, what God has given to us in Christ, who we are in Christ. Only in the later parts of the epistles, he writes instructions about Christian living, Christian doing. So Christian living is important, but it comes after understanding who we are. The problem in the churches today is that instead of teaching people who they have become in Christ, we are telling them what they must do. And so people are trying to fulfill the commandments that the pastors are giving to them. And because they have different experiences up and down, up and down, the church is always dealing with this inferiority complex, condemnation and guilt. Always thinking we are not good enough. We're not strong enough. That's a sad tragedy of the majority of the churches that I am, you know, associated with or even know or aware of also. It's sad because that is not the complete truth. Okay. So I want you to turn first to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to begin here. Are you there? Ephesians chapter 1. Let's all begin to read together. One, two, three. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ 
by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. All right, stop here. Underline in Christ. Verse 4. Just as he chose us in him. Underline in him. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoptions as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved, underline in the beloved. You can also underline accepted. Verse 7. In him, underline that. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Underline in Christ, verse 10. Some of your translations will not have exactly like me. But, you know, as far as possible, where it says in Christ, you underline it. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. If you have that word, phrase, underline that in him. Verse 11. In him or in Christ, underline that. Also, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him, underline that. You also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, again, underline that, in whom. Also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory there are two things that stand out here when you study this properly the first thing is that our redemption our salvation is past tense it's not future tense the bible doesn't say if you live a good life if you have good works if you are faithful, then you will obtain in the future. Then you will be accepted. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says we have already obtained. We are already accepted. The second point, the main point is this. There's one phrase that stands out. Okay, one phrase that stands out. And it is this phrase. In Him. Or in Christ. Write it down. In Him or in Christ. Okay. And you see this very peculiarly mentioned in most of Paul's epistles. And they really stand out, particularly in the New Testament. Okay? More than any other phrase. So by the frequency of its occurrence, we must understand there is a truth here that God wants to reveal to us. So there is a truth that is revealed to us. Why does Paul continually write this phrase in his writings? Unless it means something very important for all believers. In fact, 
in the first 13 verse of Ephesians chapter 1, it is found 11 times. 11 times. In the beloved also. Okay? So, according to this author called Warren Litzman, the entire canon of scripture would be incomplete without this statement. In fact, even many faith teachers do not emphasize this part. It is God's greatest message to mankind. And what is that? This small phrase called in Christ. In Christ or in Him or in whom? All the different variations. In union with Christ. You will find it in other parts of the scripture. In union with Christ. In the beloved. The beloved is capital B. In other words, the beloved here is referring to Jesus Christ. In the, four, in the six chapters of Ephesians, there are more, more than 40 references. 40 to being in Christ. And also having Christ in you. To being in Christ and having Christ in you. The other part that you will see is Christ in you. Okay. Both are a little similar. Slight differences, but almost the same revelation. So being in Christ is the overwhelming revelation of the New Testament. The theme of the New Testament, the New Covenant is this, you are in Christ. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are in Christ. This, now, it seems simple, but let me tell you this. This phrase is basically, do you want to know it? God's entire plan of salvation from the beginning is this. And if you miss this, we miss God's plan of salvation in Christ. That was what God had planned from the very beginning. Amen? So the power and the depth of the new covenant realities, new creation realities, lies in understanding this phrase. And also, real victorious Christian living. How many of you want to be victorious every day? Right? Every day. A life of peace, a life of rest, a life of victorious power over the enemy, over sin, guilt, and condemnation. All right? To be able to serve God wholeheartedly. To be able to finish your journey well. Being faithful to the Lord is dependent on knowing this truth. In fact, it is God's predominant message to the believer in the New Testament through Paul. Okay? So, the Genesis is in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him, God chose you. The word chose means handpicked you. Have you ever been to a football field and there are 20 kids just playing and then suddenly someone says, Hey, let's play. Let's form a team. So they make two boys the captain. And the captains have to choose. And maybe they chose you the last. Have you ever been chosen last? Huh? It feels bad. Because it means that you are the worst player. Okay. So the word chose here, it means similar to that. Jesus handpicked you. He chose you. Okay. God chose you, handpicked you. 
the Bible says, before the foundation of the world. That means even before he created the universe, God chose you in him. Before God created the world, God chose you. He created your purpose first. He chose you first and then he created creation. That means before any of the known world was created, before the planets, before Jupiter, before Mars, before the Milky Way, before the entire universe was created, even before there was any sin, any sickness, any disease, even before he created gold and diamond and so on, before there was any religion, before there was any government, God chose you to be in him. Meaning, God did not choose you for your purpose. God chose you for his purpose. So, understanding this will cause you to enter into God's plan from the beginning of time. Understanding where you are today and what you're contributing even to the future. Now, that means also this. He did not choose you. God did not choose you to go through life defeated. He did not choose you to go through life sick, overwhelmed, overcome in weakness. There's nothing wrong in weakness. By ourselves, we are weak. We know that. But by being in Christ, we enter into our strength. So we must understand that. Amen? He did not choose me to be defeated by Satan or sin. He chose me in Christ. What does it mean? It means this truth holds the beginning to the believer's life of victory and peace. The believer's life of victory and peace and wholeness is in understanding this truth. You are in Christ from the beginning of time. Hallelujah. Now, there's this spiritual law. How many of you have heard right believing leads to right doing? Right believing before, right living. Now, much of the Christian church focuses on right doing, right living, without teaching them right believing. And that's why we have performance-based religion. That's why we have legalistic religion. Of course, today, there is no church which is under the law. Because no one goes back to the Old Testament covenant form of worship where we are sacrificing animals and all of that. So don't say about your own pastor and your own church, oh, they are under the law. They're not under the law. They're just a little mixed up. And then they are in human performance, you know, um, bondage. They are in legalism, okay? But the principle is this. If you don't begin right, you will not end right. So when you don't allow believers to begin their walk rightly by teaching them right believing, and then you just straight away teach them right living, then you don't end up right. Because the emphasis becomes all about doing instead of about first believing. But before you do, you must believe. Because all your doing comes out of your believing. So, we must begin rightly by understanding our genesis, our beginning in Christ. The moment we accept Christ into our heart. And how God wants us to live. We cannot live this Christian life in our own strength. How many of you think the Christian life is difficult? Can I see your hands? How many of you think it is easy? Can I see your hands? How many of you, you don't have brain today? Can I see your hands? Huh? Come on, tell me. 
respond. How many of you think the Christian life is difficult? Can I see your hands? Difficult. All right. All of you are wrong. Because the Christian life is impossible. If you think you can do it in your own strength, you are in pride, brother. You are in self-righteousness. Because none of us can live the Christian life in our own strength, wisdom, and ability. The Christian life is impossible. It's impossible. The only way you can live it is when Christ comes inside you and He lives through you by His grace. It's not self-righteousness. It is His righteousness. Amen. Hallelujah. But the problem with Christianity is that we have taught people that after you're born again, you take God's help to try to live as best as you can in your own strength, in your own wisdom, and in your own ability. Rather than really resting and surrendering completely to Him so that He lives through us. There's a difference. Okay. So the first thing, if you are trying to live your Christian life on your own strength, ability, righteousness, it's a life of hopelessness. It's going to be a life of defeat and nothing more. I guarantee you that. Okay. There are two positions you must understand. The weak position is this. And the strong position is this. It's just about renewing your mind to understand where you are. This is Satan. And even after you're born again, he attacks you. Right? Now, the problem why many Christians struggle with being weak in the Christian life. They struggle not reigning over their circumstances. Romans 5.17 says, We reign in life through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. It's because we believe this. Jesus is in us, but we still have to fight Satan by our own goodness, our own strength, our own might, and our own abilities. He's in us, but we give him a secondary role. Right? We believe. How many of you believe Jesus is in you? Yes, all of you believe, right? But this is how you believe. You are here. The master and Jesus is sitting down there as a servant to do for you what you want him to do for you. It may not be in your mind, but the attitude in your daily life exposes that belief. Some of us think that Jesus is in us, but he has a weak position, whereas we have the main position. So we are in control. Jesus is not in control of our life. This is the throne. You are sitting on the throne of your life. And Jesus is sitting on the side. To call upon Him in times of crisis, in times of sickness, in times of difficulty. So that's the position where we are at. The other wrong belief is this. The other wrong belief is this. This is the believer. This is Christ. And this is Satan. This is what we believe. Many Christians still believe this. Many are not even here, okay? They believe this. They believe what? Christ is separate. I'm separate. Satan is separate. So if Satan attacks you, you have to run to Christ. And where do you have to run to Christ? You have to go look for the nearest prayer house. You have to go look for the nearest place where there's revival happening. The nearest mighty man of God. Because you have to run to Christ. Because the belief is this. You are separated from Christ. Because you came with this belief. Christ and me are separated. Why? Because last Sunday I didn't go to church. 
So our belief is this. When we go to church, we come closer to Christ. When we don't go to church, we are further from Christ. And then you fought with your father a little bit more further. You didn't give your tithes. More further. We didn't read the Bible. Further from Christ. Right? But then you attended Easter closer to Christ. You went to church on Sunday. You're closer to God. But then on Monday you got tempted with some supari, talab, whatever. And you're further from Christ. You watch a bad video. You're further from Christ. You gossip. You're further from Christ. So we think this. By doing good works, I'm close to Christ. By doing bad works, I'm further from Christ. By not doing the good things I should do, I'm further from Christ. By avoiding sin, I'm closer to Christ. So we are here. We are close, we are further. We are close, we are further. Right? So when you think you are close, ah, you are very bold in your prayer. Ah, shout Allah, Satan, go in Jesus. But if you feel that you are far because you have not gone to church, you have not been praying, you feel far, then you're weak. It's like, how can I pray? Pastor, you pray. You know, so we lose our confidence. We lose our boldness. Depending on your performance. If you pray and fast for 40 days, ah, you can shake the heavens. But you have not prayed and fasted for 10 days. Now let's say you lose your confidence. So to get your confidence back, you have to go back to the prayer house. To get your confidence back, you have to go back to that performance mindset again. There was a sister who came and told me, Pastor, I was in prayer house. It was so wonderful. But after I left prayer house and went back to my office, I feel so far from God. I have to go back again. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not against prayer house. And going to prayer house, when the Lord leads you, is good. But this bondage, what bondage is this? Only when I am praying, I feel close to God. When I am not involved in anything spiritual, either in church, activities, prayer, fasting, you're not involved in anything church, and if you're out there in the world serving as a doctor, serving in the office, and you have not done anything spiritual activity for some time, you feel far from God, right? I feel so dry, oh, pastor, I feel so weak. I have to go back to be strong. You know what that is called? It's called bondage. Why is it bondage? It's bondage because your freedom, your peace, your boldness is connected to a place. It's connected to doing something religious. And if you are not doing that religious thing, you don't feel strong. So the only way you have peace is you have to come to a physical location. Like a church, a prayer house, or a retreat. Do you get it? See, Jesus told the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, God is spirit. Okay, the Samaritan woman was asking Jesus, Where do we, how do we worship? Our fathers told us we are to worship on this mountain. The Samaritans worship in a different mountain. They don't go to Jerusalem. The Jews say that we are to worship in Jerusalem. Meaning, if you want to worship God, you have to go to that mountain. You have to go to the temple of Solomon, the temple of the Herod built. You have to go there and you have to cut the animals there. You have to go through the priest there. Do you get it? 
You have to follow all the rituals there because the presence of God was only there. It was all connected to a physical place. It was connected to a physical priesthood. It was connected to physical things that do. But Jesus said, now is the time when the Father is looking for true worshipers. For God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The system of worship, Jesus changed it in the new covenant. It is no longer confined to a physical place. It's no longer confined to a physical priesthood. It is no longer confined simply to religious rituals. It is by faith in the Spirit. A life that is led in the Spirit, lived in the Spirit and truth. Bujiyase. Amen. Hallelujah. So, when you have this, Believe that you are separated is where the problem comes from. Because you think, if I am in church, I feel close to God. But if I'm not in church, I don't feel close to God. How many of you have felt like that in the past? Can I be honest? Yeah. So, the moment, let's say, you have a temptation in the office. Someone comes with sickness in the office. And you can pray and testify about Jesus. Let's say a demon manifests in your colleague and you can pray and deliver them. But because you are in the office and you feel far from God, you feel like you don't have the boldness, the confidence or the faith to minister to them. Because only in church, you feel you're close to Jesus and Jesus is close to you because Jesus lives in the church, right? See, it's bondage. It's not releasing people to be who God has made them to be. You see, they are, Focus in the Old Testament is this. Come. Come to Jerusalem. Right? That's what Jesus, that's what God told the Israelites. Every year, three times, all the Jews above 20 males must come to Jerusalem to worship God. Right? On the day of Pentecost, Jews from all over the world had come to Jerusalem. Because there was all covenant worship. All covenant worship is to come, come to Jerusalem because the glory of God was in the temple here. Right? Do you understand that? After Jesus resurrected, what did he say? He said, Go. The emphasis from God is no longer come, it's go. You getting it? Go into the world. Take the fire of God to the office. Take the anointing of God to the business. Go, share the gospel out in the world, in the alleys, in the bars. Go. That means God wants you to carry the presence, the power and the anointing of God out there. That means even if you are in the bar, you should feel very close to God. I'm not saying you should drink. Even if you are there in the darkest place in the jungle, if you are there in the office, you are there in the bus, you should feel very close with God. Why? Because there is no separation anymore. This is not the truth. This is what you thought, right? If Satan is attacking you, you have to go close to Jesus. This is what we call a weak position. There's no lasting peace. There's no lasting strength. 
And this is not true because the moment you are born again, Christ is in you, right? So you are no longer separated. You are no longer separate. That means if you are there in the office, God is with you. Yes or no? If you by mistake end up in a bar to share the gospel, not to drink, right? Is God with you or not? He's with you. You may be in the darkest place of the world and is God with you? Yes. You may even end up in prison. Is God with you? Yes. You are no longer separated. But yet, we must not stay here thinking that we are one. Christ is in me, but He is in me as a small Jesus. I am still the one on the throne. Why? Because when Satan attacks, guess what? You are trying to fight Satan by your own strength, ability. You're trying to fight guilt, fear by your own ability. And you're trying to fight temptation by your own strength. The true position is this. Are you ready for it? This is Christ and this is the believer. You are in Him. Are both of these true? Yes. However, I would say this takes precedence over this. This is greater than this. Even though we are both true. You are in Him and He's in you. And if Satan attacks, which position is stronger? You fighting or Jesus fighting for you? Huh? So that's the strong position of the believer in Christ. Here, you are still vulnerable. Here, he has to get through Jesus to get to you. Impenetrable. Okay. So, separatism, the gospel of separatism. God is separate. You are separate. By doing a lot of religious activities, you come close to God. By not doing, you go further from God. It's false. That's not the New Testament. That's not the truth of who you are. Don't believe that anymore. But let me tell you this. Your feelings and your mind will still deceive you. So you have to always stand on the Word of God. Renew your mind by the Word of God. Remind yourself from the Word of God. The other is this. Jesus small in you or you small in Jesus. You in Christ. Okay. The reality of the New Testament is this. That the believer is in Christ. The believer is in Christ. Okay. Whether you feel anything special, whether you understand this completely or not, you just believe it. It has nothing to do with your feelings. How many of you in the first week, you had a wonderful encounter with the Holy Spirit? You were touched, you cried. Yes? It was wonderful. And when you had that experience, did you feel close to God? Huh? Honest, did you feel close to God? But the next week, when we did not have that experience every day, did you feel a little far from God or close to God? A little far? And so, what are you looking for sometimes? We look for another experience. To feel close to God. We want God to touch us again. So we cry. Oh, I feel so close to God. And then after two or three days. When that experience doesn't happen every day. We feel a little far from God. Right? So that creates the deception in our minds. That it is only through experiences. We experience union with God. So charismatics become addicted 
to experiences in order to feel close to God. So uh, they want to run from revival meeting to conferences to this, have hands laid upon them to feel strong, to feel some union with God. No, there's nothing wrong with experiences. Experiences are part of the gospel package. However, it's always the word first. It's always believing in the word first. And we are not to live our life based on experiences. When you have wonderful spiritual experiences, we feel strong. When we don't have experience for many days, one month, sometimes even for the whole year, many people feel, ah, I feel like so far from God. I feel like God doesn't love me. Where is God? Where is God? Have you ever asked, where is God? Where is God? Huh? In your prayer, Lord, where are you? Have you ever asked? Yes or no? Yes. Just look in the mirror. God's inside you and you are in Christ. But I don't feel. There's nothing to feel about this. Just believe. Take God and His Word. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Believe it. You are in Him. You are in Christ. You are in the Beloved. Amen. It has nothing to do with your feelings. I don't feel any special experience with the Holy Spirit for one year. It doesn't change anything of the truth. I am in Him. My faith is in Him. My peace is in that phrase, in Him. See, that's where your stability comes from. If you just chase experience all the time, you will be up and down, up and down. And sometimes because you don't feel the presence of God, you don't cry like before, you will start thinking, is something wrong with me? I don't cry anymore in the spirit. What's wrong with me? Pastor, please pray for me. Many, especially women, they say that to me. I'm like, hey, if you don't cry, there's nothing wrong. But they always want to cry to feel close to God. It's bondage. There's nothing wrong with feelings and experiences. But they're all secondary to the word of God. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So, understanding this, life in Christ. Everyone say life in Christ. Is the key to victory and meaning in the believer's life. Life in Christ is the key to victory. It's the key to meaning. Okay. It is the foundation upon which you will experience maturity and a victorious Christian life. Like I said before, you cannot live beyond what you believe. Right believing leads to right living. When we were in college, all our Naga friends there in Delhi, we would talk about this Bengali, we would talk about this UP and how they disrespected us, how they didn't talk well to us. So we would tell other, hey, you are Naga. Hey, you are Naga. Hey, you are Naga. How can you allow them to disrespect you? Are you Naga Manu? Marivina. Right? You are Naga. You are supposed to fight. So, yeah, I'm Naga. So, right believing, na? I am Naga. I am Naga means I have to. Right? So, we do because we believe we are Naga. Because the image, the identity of Nagas is angry men, violent men, right? Warriors. Red blooded warriors, headhunters. That's the identity. I am Naga. I am Naga. And so we end up beating them. Why? 
It proves the spiritual truth. What is that? Right believing leads to right living. In other words, what you believe, you will do. Before you do, you will believe. Okay. Like for example, Nisi Manu, Nisi. Nisi people are supposed to be warriors, headhunters, right? So if you think, I am Nisi, I See, because you believe something about yourself, you act. Right? So now you have to change that. And that's what's happened to me when I got born again. God told me, don't see yourself anymore as a Naga. Because if I see myself as Naga, I would say, hey, I'm Naga and you are Bengali and you are Orisa. You are I. So it divides. The human identities divide. But when I see myself in Christ and I see you in Christ, I no longer see you as Bengali or see you as Assamese. I see you as a brother in the Lord. There's no longer now Jew or Greek or Gentiles. We're all one in Christ. So you have to see yourself no longer as Naga, as Nisi, no longer as Maite. You have to see yourself as in Christ. Okay. So that's what I mean. The moment I began to see myself as I'm in Christ, guess what happened? It begins to produce Christ-motivated behavior. Okay. So that's the truth that I want you to get. If you believe you are a loser, you will end up losing in life. Yesterday, my nephew was telling me, one of his uncles, they went to Bangkok and they went to Pattaya and they were just doing this on the beach in Pattaya, this paragliding. How many of you have seen the paragliding? The boat pulls you and you go up, you know? So the son went first. After he went and they were enjoying. And so the uncle came and the person who is in charge of the paragliding said, no, you cannot. You are too fat. You are too fat. He took that. And the moment he heard that, he was so depressed. He went and sat by himself the whole day in a corner just sulking. Because, listen, look, he believed he's fat. And because of that, he felt sad. Believing produces behavior. Right? It's believing. It's believing first. You believe something, like for example, if you call your mother on the phone or your father and they were not talking to you well, like, hey, impatient with you, maybe even talk to you angrily. And after the phone is over, suddenly a thought comes, my father doesn't love me. My father is rejecting me. If the thought comes, the whole day you'll be sad. Because it begins with the believing. Right? So, this is what I want you to get. Why do people struggle in their Christian life? It's because they have not believed the right things about themselves. If you do good, if I do good, I am good. How many of you believe this? Some of you are raising your hands without thinking what I said also. If I do bad, I am bad. This is a basic philosophy of the world. Yes or no? I, he does so many good things. He gives food to the dogs. Right? He's giving his money to the poor. Ah, he's good. Why? Because he's doing good works. 
This is the mentality of the world. If you do good, you are good. If you do bad, you are bad. Is this the gospel? Huh? It's not the gospel. You are not your mistake. You are not your sin. But the way we talk with one another is we always judge people based on their works. Right? Has any friend lied to you? From the day you start calling them, hey, you're a liar, liar, liar. Like that. Do, you, do you do that? They start feeling bad. One mistake they make and the whole life, they are identified with the mistake. You're a liar. See, that's the way the world functions. If you do good works, you are considered good. So that's how people also learn to fool the public, the politicians. They will take pictures doing good works, giving food to the poor, giving blankets to widows. They're showing good works. So the world sees, ah, good politician, good man. Because they see the good works. But can you be a bad man and do good works? Can you have a wrong heart and do good works? Yes. Can you have a right heart and still make a mistake and do some bad work? Yes. Because no man is perfectly right. Are you following? So, God has come to change this. You are not what you do. You are what you... Write it down. I am not what I do. I am what I believe. How many of you believe in Jesus? Then you are a son of God. Right? How many of you act like a son of God every day? Sometimes you act like the devil, especially when you don't get pork. Or when your phone is taken away from you. Suddenly you become a demon possessed. <laughs> right? See, you don't act every day like a son of God, but the moment you believe, you are a child of God. Right? So you are not what you do, you are what you believe. That's the upside down message of the gospel, which is opposite to the world. So, your believing leads to doing. So when you believe you are in Christ and Christ is in you, I tell you, this is the foundation to strong, stable, mature, victorious Christian life. Sometimes ah, I messed up. I messed up. But you are still in Christ. And believing that, thank you, Father. I'm sorry I messed up. Father, thank you. I'm still in Christ. I'm still righteous. It will lift you back up again. It will give you the grace to continue walking. But if you think I am what I do, I committed, I watch pornography. I like, ah, I'm useless. I'm hopeless. Hope. Pastor, there's no hope for me. I tried so much, but I cannot be a good person. And you leave the church. How many people have left the church because they thought they are what they do? I'm a bad Christian because I do bad things. How many of you heard people say, I'm a bad Christian? Do you know that generally there is no such thing as a bad Christian? You are Christian or you're not? You just have Christians who do not understand their identity. And that's where the difficulty comes. All right. If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time 
effort and money to do it. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. And you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.